0: We've got a a really interesting and important program today, Fran. It's going to be all about education and the arts, the unis and the ABC, uh, what they mean to society and some attacks and what the implications of these are going to be. I've got some really good speakers coming in. We have uh, Dave, Dr. David birchill from UWS is coming in to talk about unis. Um, we have an international student, we have a school student. Then later in the second hour, we'll have Nick Franklin talking about cuts to the ABC. The Morrison government has announced a package of changes to the university sector called Reshaping the Architecture of Higher Education. Quote, that's what it's called. Reshaping the Architecture of Higher Education by the Education Minister, Dan Teen. Student fees for humanities subjects will more than double, law and commerce will increase by a third. This is yet to go through the Senate, but it's the biggest fee increase since 1996. The Commonwealth Government contribution to student fees will be reduced from 58% to 48% necessitating universities to continue seeking alternative funding. So even though they're charging more, the total money is going to be less. This has moved towards the user pays model, like in America, hmm. as James would know. And of course, this has been exemplified by the continual expansion of the international student market, the huge need for that. Now it's worth $39 billion. Oh my God. For staff, there's been restructuring, inverted commas, efficiency, inverted commas, cuts, flexibility, all these words. Flexibility models of being encouraged for course presentation and, and you know that can be interpreted in all sorts of ways. Now, the university staff are one of the most highly casualised workforces. It's up to 70% in some campuses. There's been much discussion on the implications of this funding restructuring and some strong reactions from diverse groups. Now, in a little while we're going to have an academic coming in but at the moment we've got a school student here, James Dawes from Katoomba High. Hi. Hello, James.
1: Hello. <laughs> Thanks for coming in. It's nice to be here. That's
0: great. Now, you're um, you're in year 11, a really critical time. So, what's your reaction to the prospect of paying more possibly for your university degree?
1: It's bad. I mean, I think my kind of generation or my subject, my cohort, people my age are already facing, like, a really difficult working life ahead of them with, you know, especially in the next couple of years, an economy that is going to be, you know, coming out of a pandemic, severely, you know, damaged and, you know, in deficit and, not deficit, the other one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Economic terms. Recession. Recession, yes. And, um, I suppose that, well, I think, for us, we're very conscious of that. All my friends, I know, are very conscious of how hard it's going to be for us to own our own homes, to like, Uh, Have a career that can pay the rent, and you know, if people, a lot of people, you know, still want to raise kids, as is perfectly natural. So it's like impossible to see. It's it's a very difficult proposition in like kind of the situation, and then this is this is just another punch in the gut, Mm -hmm. really, like hex debts. I mean, I know plenty of people in their 30s and 40s who are still paying off their hex debts mm. and, like, if that's going to be increased, then how how long does that debt last? It's almost like a lifelong thing you're looking at here, paying back for, you know, tertiary education. Yes.
2: Can I just... say so the, the, the debt burden, yeah. Uh, um, I just want to ask James quickly, as um, this changed your plans? What were you planning to yes. do? Were you planning to go to uni and Because
0: I know you're a, a bit of an American um, politics and history buff. Are you doing subjects? or Were you intending to study an arts degree, for Yeah. Example? Well,
1: I do both ancient and modern history at school. I'm not really sure what I want to do. I definitely want to go to university. That's always um, been, like, my plan. I'm not sure of the details... But I have friends who are, I have friends who, you know, want to be certain kinds of academics or doctors or want to do arts degrees, (laughs) want to study theatre and things like that. I've got a sister who graduated last year who uh, is studying law. And so these cuts do impact her, even though she kind of, her course has already started. Mm. Um, She's going... To be, you know, at the pointy end of the stick. What, what did you say? Inc- increase by third for law yes. degrees. Yes, exactly. Y-
0: your interest is in history. Yes. Yes. So, well, that's right okay. in the middle of all the controversy, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Um, the um, which which are the courses that are going to be cheaper now? I've forgotten. Oh, and
0: it's Agriculture.
2: Science. Agriculture, right? And STEM ones.
1: I think nursing by like a tiny inconsequential amount,
2: mm. and uh, maybe teaching is And teaching. teaching. Yep. and yep. Um, but what about IT? Is that going to be cheaper?
1: I, I, I don't know.
2: Uh, business is going to be cheaper, or um,
1: less. I don't think business so. is
2: in with commerce, commerce. Is with law. Yes. Oh, so all right, business. so yeah, right. Yeah,
1: but I mean, look, they are cut, so it, it's more bad than good. Like the, you know, you have some subjects doubling. You don't have any subjects Mm. halving their prices. So do
0: you think, for example, you're in year 11, so you've already on your course, but supposing you were younger students have to Mm. now select their subjects for senior study, do you think it'll influence their choice?
1: I doubt it. I don't... That's not normally... Like, there's a lot of factors that go into a year 10 student choosing their subjects, but... um, Often they're not the most, uh, you know, which teachers you like, what your friends are doing, what you're interested in, and then, like, probably not which university courses are cheap. Mm. Although, I, you know, dedicated people certainly would be looking at that and, you know, they will not have an easy time of it for that reason.
0: Yeah. Well, um, so that really goes against the, the government's argument, doesn't it? Because the, if the whole idea is to discourage people from doing something, it's not going to work. From what you say, they will still follow their interest and just with a a larger debt burden.
1: Mm, Yeah, I mean, but it's... Maybe, certainly, like, coming out of Year 12 and going to university, I think it will affect people's decisions. I I know I also have a friend whose older sister also graduated last year, was going to do an Arts and Humanities degree and she's weighing up her options right now because it's a pretty, like um it's a pretty intense like 200 113% increase is like do you really want to saddle yourself with that and it's like like she's very smart very talented she is very passionate about those things that she would be studying and it's terrible that she might not get the chance like having you know those um Mm. Having those limitations.
2: Um, do you think it'll affect the ATAR? I mean, do you think courses that, like the humanities, will lower their ATAR just to get the students? Because a lot of students um, study for the ATAR. Mm. Wh- whatever ATAR they can mm. get determines yes. what what they'll do. You know. So, do you think that'll?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the basically what happens is it's a socio-economic thing, right? I mean, people whose parents have the money to, you know, pay or partially pay for these degrees not going to be as worried about it. I, I certainly think like, I don't know if there are enough people in, you know, from the eastern and northern suburbs of Sydney to fill all those places, but um, yeah, certainly, Sorry, what was the question? <laughs> well, uh,
2: th- th- I was just wondering about how that will affect ATAR mm. levels and, and whether or not students will start thinking, well, well...
0: that might be a question that we could ask.
2: Yeah, I only uh, need 80, I don't need 90, academic. so I'm not going to do... Because subjects... Mm. Lots of students do subjects to get high ATAR. Mm. The ATAR's weighted, so that might be a bit different. But also, um, I was just wondering whether the um, uh, the... You know, the rich kids who could afford the luxury mm. of a humanities degree mm. will get a bit... S- will will, will the, the status of that degree will go down because perhaps yeah. the eight will below it. So, anyway, it's a...
1: Perhaps, well, but I also... I'm
0: going to ask James, yeah, about the two things that come out of that. One is inequality, which you just alluded to. Mm. That's really interesting. It's, it's going to highlight that, isn't it? Because De- wealthier kids, it doesn't matter what it costs. They'll still do it.
1: Definitely, and if... You're someone who doesn't have well-off parents, and can't meet that cost, and doesn't want to be saddled with a huge debt for, you know, a significant portion of their lives. Then, you, you know, maybe you want to do an agriculture course. But I don't know anyone who wants to do an agriculture course. Like, like the you know, mm. the idea of aspirational, like, astro- you know, that the government really likes to put forward. It's like you're not providing much opportunity for aspiration if the only people thing people can afford to do is yeah. like agriculture degrees. and
0: Well, research has shown that a debt, just the prospect of a debt burden um, causes more, inhibits children from poorer families. Mm. Because I, I'm old enough to remember way back when there was no fees at all.
1: Exactly. Um,
0: prehex for my First degree, and you know, just the very idea of getting any debt is really a disincentive for for poor people. And lastly, I wanted to ask you, James, about the bigger picture. Could you say anything about that? I know you're interested in politics and philosophy. Do you think this says something about the role of education, the role of universities, uh, how we value critical thinking? In society,
1: yeah, I, I, I think it, tertiary education is very important. I think there's like not just for people to be, uh, you know, have successful careers. That's not even the main point when you're looking at it from a, you know, o- overall. You, it's good for society when people, you know, have an understanding of the world they inhabit and. Um, Look, it's very upsetting. I think, just to go off on a tangent, I have a lot of teachers who um, were able to go and get their teaching degrees um, under the Whitlam government's free universities Mm. uh, policy and wouldn't have been able to if they hadn't. And so had, had it not been for that policy, then I wouldn't have had those teachers, they wouldn't have been able to pursue a career in exactly. teaching where they could, you know, nurture the next generation and help them achieve their, you mm. know, goals and aspirations. So it's very... <sighs> any any barrier to, you know, people seeking to better themselves, like um, intellectually and seeking to expand their knowledge and their understanding of the world is a bad thing. It's, it, it's bad economically, it's bad socially, mm. uh, culturally. I don't see any upside to um, yeah raising that barrier of entry. It's a yeah. terrible, terrible thing.
0: Thanks very much, James. Uh, today we're talking about the university restructuring package. Uh, the challenges that that's presenting. And we've just had a little chat with James, a school student, and we've got our special guest who's just arrived. We're very grateful. Dr David Birchall from University of Western Sydney who is in the Humanities Department. Thank you very yep. much for coming by. No problem. Never. You're just the person we want to tell us all about this. Um, yeah, so there's a, a lot... I'll, I'll just start and then you can peel yeah, sure. in. I've got um, a quote from um, Tom Keneally the other day. Was saying, He was talking about the uh, economics of cultural cringe. He wrote an article on June the 26th asking, are universities now a business providing vocational training and not a public resource? There is a profound sense that Australia is not up to cleverness. This is the view that by doubling the fees for humanities, that things, all those things that are associated with humanities, inquiry, critical thinking, the arts, uh, are being less valued. So that's one of the things a lot of people are talking about. So, David, do you think this is an applied message? Is it a, an attack on universities?
3: Well, I think it's a whole bunch of things here, aren't there, really? I mean, the, f- the, the big picture, obviously, is the COVID-19 pa- pandemic situation and its effect on... The entire economy. It, there's a respect in which higher education is an industry. It employs people, obviously. It's a major employer. Uh, it's also a generator of economic growth and um, income. It's a major uh, export industry of education and goods to the rest of the world. But it is also pro- a producer of other things as well yeah, of knowledge, wisdom, maybe, even stuff like that. Um, the peculiar thing from my perspective, and I'm, I'm an academic, but I'm also um, a unionist and I'm the, the head of the National Tertiary Education Union at the Western Sydney branch of it, um, is that what the government's done to universities since the pandemic began doesn't make sense on either of those two grounds that I can see. Yeah. First of all, the university sector was left out of JobKeeper. There was no respect, there was no respect in which the general economic response to the pandemic... That was a really good one, I think, on the part of Australia compared with a lot of other governments. It, it wasn't connected to the university sector in any way. The university sector was ex- was was an exception, or at mm. least the public university sector. Private universities are between us differently. Yes, it was left out of JobKeeper. Yeah, no it? JobKeeper, no special bailout package, nothing. Um, and this was odd, firstly because it's an important part of Australian public life, mm. but also it is an important part of the Australian economy and is it a major mm. generator of export earnings for Australia. So even on a crude economic level, that didn't mm. make sense, let alone the other question as well of the other things the higher education offers. And I think the other thing that about the, pan, the broader pandemic situation, I'm coming to an answer to your question, but I think yeah. the other thing about the broader pandemic situation that has been um, really stark in higher education is it's brought into high relief the fact that the sector is part of the wider economy and has been part of all of the economic trends in the workforce that have now all these chickens coming to home to roost since mm. the pandemic took over. I mean, we know a quarter of the Australian workforce are shift workers and they have been hard hit and JobKeeper has helped, but nevertheless shift workers everywhere have been hard hit. My kids <laughs> lost their work. Mm. Um, you know. Um, but the university sector also has 25% of its workforce casual. And in fact, casual employment in the university sector, which I think most people don't realise, is worse in many yes. respects than casual employment elsewhere.
0: Exactly. I was just shift workers in the rest of the economy are generally employed... It's up employed, to 70% yeah. in some campuses.
3: Was well, I'm not really sure about 70% of the workforce. 70% of the teaching done the teaching. quite possibly may be done by casual. Mm. So 25% of the workforce is employed not on a shift basis, but they're employed by the hour. Mm. They, they are paid by but also employed by the hour And most places across the country not my place thanks to our hard work as a union join people out there um but in most places most universities in the country also can be sacked with an hour's notice yes. or in fact zero as notice yeah. in some cases so it is what the pandemic has shown is that as a workforce it's even more fragile than the Australian economy as a whole, and has suffered all the same problems. And across, the, you know, across the, the country, and particularly at my place, we've been fighting to save people's jobs, and particularly to save the quarter or more of the workforce who were, who were hired by the air. That's been really shocking, that the government let that happen and did nothing to help. And then now, yes, the last thing you refer to there is that the federal government's latest decision is to kind of socially engineer the cost of degrees to suddenly make humanities degrees amongst the most expensive degrees in the country, Mm. even though they're the cheapest degrees to teach since they involve nothing more than people's brain power, as Mm. it were, and require no No real technology of any kind. Yeah, No labs, no um, prac Mm. work, none of that stuff that normally makes degrees expensive. It makes no sense, again, in economic terms. The only way it seems to make sense is as a vendetta against people they don't like.
0: Yes, it's pretty hard to not see it that way, is it? Um.
2: Also, too, I mean, a lot of the uh, international students would be doing... I'm assuming humanities is linked in with arts, say. Mm, Yeah, Yeah, a lot of uh, international students would be doing, um, you know, digital arts or, you know, design. Design's very popular. I mean, so you think that that would be cutting off... Your nose, despite your face, because that's good Yeah,
3: imagine the government thinks that the bulk of overseas students are uh, come to study. You know, vocationally orientated units. Mm-hmm. Certainly true that if your family is in China or Southeast Asia, and they're giving up a large part mm-hmm. of their family's assets mm-hmm. and income to come to Australia, then vocation matters. But you're right; it's not. That's not always um, what those students want to do. Yeah. Um, and in any case most of the occupations that people move into out of the humanities are regular jobs doing regular work. Most people who do study humanities degrees don't go on to become artists yes. or, or mm. writers. Some do, and some of them live in Katoomba, um, but, but, but most don't. Most go on to hold down professional or clerical jobs in the mainstream economy. Mm. They are—they are, in a sense, vocational degrees. All mm. degrees are vocational to the extent that they are giving you knowledge that will engage you in the workforce. Yeah. Mm. Now, so that doesn't make sense to me either.
0: No, it doesn't. That, that, another thing about the funding, too, David. Even though the fees are increasing and—and and for those subjects, but reducing for others, it's still going to. Cost more because the overall funding is going to be less. From what I was reading, so for example, for those um, science subjects that where the hex might be a bit less, they still face general cuts, which which you would know about, like the staffing cuts, and um, which could lead to larger class sizes and all those sorts of things too. So it's like the university's being attacked on all bodies, and some were saying that. Um, strangely, it could be an incentive to over-enroll people in the BAs and things because they can be, they, because they get higher fees from the students, they, then they'll use those fees to subsidise their research. So there's...
3: Yeah, no, people have made that point point. I think it's quite right. that. Uh, first of all, I'd never thought so. The conservative governments were into social engineering. That's usually mm. things they they blamed on left-wing governments. This is clearly a kind of social engineering, but it's a very clumsy form of social engineering. Mm. Because you're right. When a government tinkers, really, let's face it, for political reasons, with the cost of degrees to students, it does two things simultaneously. It increases the cost of a degree to students, but it also increases the revenues of the university. Mm. The more expensive the degree the more money the university gets as well. So it provides, as people said, a perverse incentive then. (laughs) You have fewer students, but they're more valuable.
0: Well, exactly. So
3: perversely then, yeah. Whereas the science degrees that they're trying to encourage will now produce... Yes. Less income per student but to look, the universities. The
0: university is a financial incentive yeah. to, to have heaps of people doing BAs.
3: Yeah. And if the argument is supposed to be that students can't work out for themselves what part of the workforce they should be moving into because um, they don't understand that there might be more jobs in the sciences than humanities related ones, I, I mean, surely conservative governments don't they normally think that the market sorts these Mm -hmm. things out and that consumers as active participants can make decisions for themselves. Again, this doesn't even sound like conservative economics to me. It sounds like a weird right-wing form of social engineering, exactly the sort of things that Scott Morrison would normally say he doesn't like. Now, of course, as we know, ideologies have gone all weird in the last few years, look in the United States, and this government has behaved in ways you wouldn't expect from a conservative government. It's suddenly discovered Keynes and and is priming the pump and doing all sorts of very unorthodox things, but these are very strange decisions Mm. and I think, to be honest, they can't be explained by economics, they can't be explained by public policy, they're simply an ideological prejudice, I think. It's simply a prejudice against certain types of knowledge and the people who deliver
2: it. Yeah, I mean, it's obvious he's, uh, you know, he's targeted the arts and humanities. He's, he's targeted uh, entertainment. He's he's targeted so many things that where there might be the possibility of any kind of protest or independent thinking or whatever. But that aside, I'm just wondering in terms of the practicalities of things, won't the universities lower their ATAR for arts and humanities, and wouldn't that Simply to get more students, and wouldn't that encourage a kind of dumbing down of of arts and humanities, which would then be a disincentive for some people to...
3: and make the degrees you know? less useful?
2: Yeah, they would be less f- yeah. so, so
3: it's So, there's, mm. it? there's
2: that kind of there's that kind of so that seems to be in conflict with mm. you know. No, no I absolutely yeah, agree. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Um, no, that, that's absolutely true. Uh, not to mention the fact that. ATARs, UAIs, whatever, um, are a very imperfect guides to what universities mm. actually do. Yes, A large true. percentage yeah. of the students that get into universities today haven't actually met the target at all yes, and are brought in by right. the back door. That's right. This will also encourage the universities to do that more. Yes. And at the time of the pandemic, because the big picture story here as far as the university sector is concerned, the reason for the loss of jobs mm. is the loss of overseas students. Mm. So there's been a huge hit to universities' finances. It depends mm. upon what university you're talking about. So, universities like Sydney, Melbourne, New South Wales, they are dependent on overseas student revenue Mm. for 40% of their revenue. And all of their building programs are tied up with that revenue apart from anything else. And Mm. their debts are contracted on the basis of that revenue. So, they've been very hard to hit. My university, Western Sydney, because it's not so near the beaches possibly, doesn't have quite so many overseas students. So, we've been less hard hit so but what, every university is coping with a huge hit to its finances that, are then, like? that is then being, as you say, kind of ex- exacerbated by mm. these seemingly arbitrary decisions made by governments that make university planning even harder.
0: I was going to ask you about research too. Um, I didn't really realise that apparently in England, I suppose lots of other countries, the research and the teaching are separate funding. In Australia it's one lot so fees from teaching subsidises research so now they're saying like um, Brian Schmidt from the ANU says the lack of investment in research will badly affect Australia's long-term economic security so there's going to be less money for research and as as you said David all that all this has an economic impact in the long run anyway so it's Pretty, yeah,
3: no, it, it, that's true, he, it, and he's quite right. Um, I mean, ultimately, in any university system viewed from the perspective of government, teaching subsidises research because yeah. research is not an income generator by itself, not normally. Um, but that's most obvious in the Australian system of way it's set up. You're, you're right, and so at a time of financial crisis such as we're in, universities have to maintain the teaching because that's the source of revenue. Other things have to go and research will be one of those things, but of course academic staff sign up because they think often they have a gift for research, Mm -hmm. and yes, so the danger is the university sector simply gets um, denuded of talent and research um, prowess, and also then that the teaching suffers. Because most research suggests that the best teaching is done when teaching and research mm. are working together mm. as a pair because that's what universities yes. are about, after all.
2: And so I, I've heard also that, um, like, a lot of humanities courses are taught by recent graduates or students doing their PhDs. They might take tutorials or whatever. I, I wonder what's going to happen to them. Um, what would they be thinking? Because having just you know, spent five years doing a PhD or whatever, mm. they will be entering... Nothing. I yeah. mean, that, how many
3: jobs will there be? Yeah, no, I'm well aware. As, as the branch president Western Sydney, I spent the last three months of my life negotiating a deal with the university that was intended to save mm. jobs, and particularly the jobs of casuals. And then after the staff had voted in favour of it and it got up as an amendment to the enterprise agreements, I woke up the next morning to see this in the newspaper and thought, OK, we'll need to start all over again now because we'll have a whole new bunch of people at risk of losing their jobs because of this. We thought we'd addressed the problem. Yes. Yeah. And now the, the, the federal government's simply gone and created a, another problem yeah.
2: to fix. And also, too, a, a friend who works at um, UNSW is saying the enterprise agreements have just gone out the window. The, the, the ones that they've been negotiating.
3: Well, yeah, no, it hasn't gone in the know, It's still a legally enforceable document in every place. Mm. But your ability to fight on behalf of members diminishes the more insecure people feel. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, we can still take universities to the Fair Work Commission when they've breached agreements, but staff will be far less confident about coming forward to say that they're being overworked or mistreated yeah, that's at times when they're afraid for their jobs. And that, you, that's yeah. what's been happening.
0: Mm. About the NTEU, yeah, so you're seeing staff feeling... Staff morale not too good,
3: I imagine. Yeah, people don't want to put their heads above the parapets because they're scared. It's most true, I think. Um, I mean, we're talking about a lot of spending, a lot of time here talking about academic staff. But to be frank, university workforce these days doesn't look like the university workforce of half a century ago. If you look at the university workforce now, in a few years' time, it will probably look something like this: half of the university workforce will be admin staff, and half will be academic staff. It's more or less that now. Of the admin staff half will be on fixed term contracts sometimes as short as a year and the rest will be ongoing half of the academic workforce will be or already is in ongoing work and the rest will be casuals so half of the university workforce if you follow that arithmetic will be in insecure work Mm. it's a whole different world from the old university system of yore which also means that if half the university workforce is in insecure work that's half the university workforce who feels quite terrified to put their hands up and saying I'm being overworked, my employment rights are being trodden on. That makes it far more difficult to protect people's rights. Mm. Um, and it rights. makes it
0: much harder to be a strong union
3: too. Um, absolutely, yeah. No, that has to be the focus of of any branch of mm. of the union at the moment. It has to be to try... To I mean, mem- this has been a problem, get, as everyone... To get members, Everyone listening to this, I'm sure, is well aware. Women. Across the entire trade union movement over the last 20, 30 years, mm. the major problem has been that our pockets of strength are usually... In areas where employment is dwindling and where employment is growing, unionism is not strong and that is true in universities as well. Exactly, mm. Ongoing academic staff are three quarters of the membership, but maybe as little as a quarter of the overall workforce. Mm. And the parts of the workforce that are growing, casuals, fixed-term employees, are the least likely to join a union. So it's the same problem as every other sector of the economy.
2: And, and you mentioned half of, half of the workforce will be admin?
3: Yeah, that's yeah, outstanding.
2: Yeah. That's incredible. So, yep. for every one academic, there's one yes, admin person. That's correct. Why is that, and what do you know? What, what's that doing?
3: Um, almost every large institution in the world's become more bureaucratic, hasn't it? That's that's one explanation. Um, the running and, and, and managing of the day-to-day business of the universities, I think, has become much more complex than it used to be. Academic staff used to just arrange the students into classes and deal with timetable things themselves. That's now a really complex business. The whole digitisation of of um, uni- universities, the fact that's, that so much is done online now, the fact that um, all of the enrolment systems, timetabling systems, all of these involve sophisticated pieces of software all of that requires the need for different kinds of work and workers that have been required before so yeah there's been a major shift in the balance of the workforce mm. but mm. just to take the point for your trade unionists further um, this is also it, it's meant a huge growth in insecure employment which just mm. keeps gr- growing every year but also in people at the lower econo- at the lower salary levels. Mm. Um, so you now have unions having strong membership, the union having strong membership in the industry amongst middle to senior ranking academic staff, <laughs> but poorer membership amongst the amongst lower the, paid staff. The junior, casual staff so I we mean. find ourselves in a strange position. If you're not careful, you can find yourself defending the people who need the least defending mm. and neglecting the people who need the most, which yeah. is another problem that yeah, the trade unions sometimes face.
0: Union movement overall. Yeah. Same in teaching unions, which used to be a mm. strong. Well, you know, 99% of teachers were always in the teaching union. Mm. Um, Another
3: problem that we face, of course, is that the academic workforce, because it hasn't been growing for a long time, is ageing. Yes. Um, And membership gets older and older. And that makes it more difficult, as in the rest of the economy, for younger employees to identify with the union and unionism because they feel that it's another world. An older generation game Mm.
2: What, what, uh, do you have any graduate students or PhD students and what are they saying about, how are they feeling about this?
3: Well, as you said, I mean, gr- gr- graduate students obviously have to worry about the future of the humanities in particular, but also they are usually aspiring, well, often they're aspiring to f- for, towards some form of academic work and the only apprenticeship for that that exists is casual teaching, That's basically, right, yeah. and to the extent that universities clamp down on that as a way of – because it's the easiest way to cut. It's much mm. more expensive to, to, to sank ongoing staff than casuals, obviously, yeah. as in every other sector. That then dries up their possibilities. You've got, you've got a workforce, an academic workforce these days, where in areas such as the humanities, if a job is advertised, even a job, say, at an entry-level lecturer position, The field of applicants is quite commonly between 100 and 150 for every job. The expectations are incredibly high, but the possibilities of getting experience to meet Mm. those expectations are getting narrower and narrower and narrower, Mm. which makes for any... You know, it's like young adulthood everywhere, only in academia it runs into people's 30s, an incredibly stressed labour market. That's right, A lot of very talented people who Mm -hmm. cannot find a job for love nor money anywhere. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And who will be wondering, well should I devote five years of my life to a PhD so I can teach?
3: And then spend ten years then, being a casual exactly. tutor and then get and no then, more work.
2: And then there's no... Because there's no tenure anymore. There's no permanency, is there? I guess some people have tenure.
0: Yes, but, but that's sort of been going on for a while. Yeah, What's it has. new, as David is saying, is it's like this attack on all sides now with the, the ideology as an extra attack. It used to be just like... All university was being cut, but now it seems like some parts are being targeted, and it's hard to avoid thinking of that that's some kind
3: of. I, I think, frankly, uh, you know, I'm normally a man of cautious words. I'm not a not a rabble rouser kind of guy. But frankly, the federal government dislikes universities. They dislike institutions they see as breeding some kind of hmm. radicalism. Which, for the most part, universities don't do anyway. But that's another well, story. Most engineering with... <laughs> academics are not are not preaching yeah. revolution to their students. Let's face it. Most science academics aren't either. It's a it's a fantasy, I think, mm. on the whole. But nevertheless, it's what the federal government believes. They, mm. It's a bit like you know that old joke that conservatives used to make about the ABC. You know, our enemies talking to our friends. Well, we're doing. Well, it's it's like s- that.
0: The second hour it's yeah. shortly, we're having a, a a report on the cuts to the ABC. So that's. Yeah. connected.
3: I think in a sense it's a parallel thing. The university system has now become the new ABC in in the federal government's yeah. thinking.
0: Well, thank you for coming in. It's all, it all sounds a bit, a bit depressing. That, yeah. Sorry, I would, oh. I'd love to have a happy ending. I don't <laughs> see one right now. Well, <laughs> is,
2: is there any any hope with the you know reintroduction of uh, international students? What do you think You know, do you think that'll make much of a difference? It's not
3: clear that international students are going to come back.
0: No. Well, I've got a recorded interview, which I'm going to play, Mm. with an international student, and it's really interesting because she ends up saying that a lot of international students won't come back.
2: Ah.
3: Yeah, no, I think
0: that's right. For various reasons, a lot of them to do with the fact that they feel badly treated and... um, and, they, and um, I mean, at the moment, they're really desperate. Some of them are queuing up to get free food mm.
3: because they've got no income. Mm. Yeah, the, the overseas students who were trapped here during the lockdown were home. not treated well by the exactly. federal government. The federal government dog-whistled, frankly, yes. and talked as if overseas students well, were I've a problem. An and now that. the Chinese government back in China yeah. is claiming that we're a racist country and that their students shouldn't come here yeah. basically as a tit for tat mm. because yeah. we want an inquiry about the virus
0: resistance song. Now, I'll talk a bit more about that song later. I played that because I have an interview now with